Welcome, everybody, to uh, Dojo Universe. I think Carl's probably good. Just want to confirm. We are recording. I think we're good. And I think Vin's out there somewhere. Hey, Vin. Good afternoon. How's it going in uh, the fast lane? Do you guys have snow today? No. It's gorgeous outside. It's sunny and it's warm, seasonal, you know. The icebergs are finally melting. It's kind of nice. <laughs> what I wouldn't give for seasonal. <laughs> yeah, I can do without all the glaciers that are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're used to, uh, is glacial, uh, glacial stuff. So, um, so yeah, uh, today's topic, I'm very proud of this one, Sleepless in GHB Battle. <laughs> topic. And uh, basically, uh, I don't know about you, Vin, but there's a few things that keep me up at night pertaining to my piping. Um, now, this is actually different. Carl was asking me this earlier. Is this the same as my World Championships anxiety dreams? And no, this is different. So <laughs> this is different. I, okay. I have an unhealthy number of World's anxiety dreams. <laughs> um, usually, like do, do elaborate, Andrew. These are these are kind of funny. Oh, dude, your microphone's way too loud. You're killing me over there, man. It doesn't involve like showing up into the band up to the line naked or anything like that, is it? Like something weird and crazy like that? Uh, no. It's, it's it could go a variety of different ways. Like some, sometimes I get my uniform on, I'm ready to go, but no one else. Is getting dressed, and, or for some reason it's just not happening, um, and so we can't get tuned up, of course, until people have their crap on. Which, of course, when you wake up, uh, we have we have methods of of getting around this problem, which is people get dressed before we leave in the morning. So um, when you wake up, it, you're fine, but you know during the dream you're like freaking out. And then the other one is everyone else is dressed and ready to go, but it's one of those things where I can't. Uh, where I can't seem to get my uniform on. Yeah. Um, it, it's always something like that. It's it's sort of like um, it's similar to when you're running in a dream, but you're not going anywhere. You're not actually able to run. Yeah. So. So I is, it, is it like the like you forgot your pants at school dream? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. It's similar, I guess. It's, you know, similar. My, my, my dreams like that always revolve around, like, you know, tunes being called that you just hadn't touched in, like, forever, you know, something like that. Yes. <laughs> so you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, completely wrong tune that we haven't played in years. Yeah. That'd be yeah, scary. And, yeah, or you get to the line and, yeah, and you, you have to play, like, medley number two, but you thought that you only had to play one. Something like that. Uh, yeah, it's all very interesting. So this is uh, not the same as that. Uh, this is more. Um, this is more a way to. I want to go into some of the uh, some of the classic issues that really frustrate us and um, you know cause us to lose sleep. For example, here's a good one. Um, your pipes are just too hard, and no matter what you do. They're too hard. How many people? We actually have 45 participants today, which is awesome. 
Um, of the 45, of, oop, now we're down to 44. Of the 40, oop, now we're, four, there we are. Nope, someone looks like they're having trouble getting in. But of the 45 of us, how many people have ever had this problem and, and really frustrated them that their pipes, no matter what they do, pipes are just too hard? Of the 45 of us, uh, let us know if uh, you've had that problem. Yeah. Well, I would, uh, yeah, Steve still does. Looks like lots of people. Wes, Kurt, Tripp. That's definitely something you'd lose sleep over. Until it's right, I guess. Yeah, Marty says no, she does. she's never had that problem. Marty, you don't know how lucky you are if that's true. Yeah. Uh, I tend to, when, it, when that happens, I tend to lose sleep over getting it right to the point where I actually get it too right, and then you realize the practice session's over, and then you got to wait till like, tomorrow to fix it again, and then you lose sleep. You're, like, worrying the whole time, like, what am I going to do? Uh, i got to start from scratch, blah, 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 you know? And it's always yeah. an ongoing cycle. It's one of those things. Here's, here's the thing with that. Um, the th and, and so, anyway, uh, so that's one of these issues that we lose sleep over. So I'm going to provide a little bit of my uh, own philosophical discourse on this one. Um, the thing with that for me is the thing that happens to pipers at all levels. Um, even if you're a soloist, um, even if you're an experienced soloist, like um, even someone like Jack Lee has commented to me before, you know, the pipe was just really hard today. And usually that might have to do with him putting in a new read. And you kind of, when you put in a new read, you should be pushing the envelope a little bit as far as what you're comfortable with because we know that we know that over time the reed will break in and sort of settle into a nice comfortable sweet spot. Plus, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, that little bit of extra volume and crackle that you'll get with a slightly harder reed, um, that's worth it. And so it's kind of worth getting yourself into shape. And so that makes it such that even at the high levels, we sometimes have to deal with this problem. Now, with that said, uh, maybe Vin or Carl could comment, right? 95% of the time, why is the bagpipe too hard to blow? 95% of the time, it probably has something to do with my setup or some maintenance thing that I haven't done or checked for recently. Inefficiencies. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so 95% of the time, right, if your bagpipe is too hard, it's because you've overlooked some element of bagpipe maintenance um, and, and I, I include drone read calibration in that, right? That's such a key issue. The drones can't be taking too much air or we're going to be sort of losing pressure. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a...
So they're trying to keep their instrument going with like these little sort of like sporadic Mm -hmm. breaths and they're never actually inhaling. And, And that's another thing to think about. Are you actually, how much air are you actually grabbing? And um, a good exercise is, you know how when you breathe, right, you're just kind of breathing, you're not really thinking about it, but you seldom would ever breathe all the way in. But if you breathe all the way in, you've got tons of room in your lungs, and then you can breathe in even more than that if you really think about it. And when we're playing the pipes, we want to grab, we want to grab tons of air and breathe mm-hmm. it into the bag, um, and that can make things so much easier. Yeah, it happens a lot when you get tired, you know, when you're playing a long time or something. Sometimes you realize, you know, you're just fatigued or you just get to the end of the session and you realize, you know, you're not breathing as efficiently as you should be. And so it, it, everything is just sort of a cumulative deterioration from there, you know, like everything just sort of falls apart and you just realize, oh, I should stop now, <laughs> you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, helps with that actually, you know, to not to get off topic or anything is exercise. You know, if, if you're used to exercising, whether it's, bike riding or whatever, working out or something, breathing is a key component and it will actually develop a habit that I think would actually, uh, yeah, just point to your eyes. You know, no exercise for you, but that's, uh, I would recommend it highly as a solution to that problem. If that's, if that's your thing. Wait, wait, wait. Now, come on, Andrew. We, we learned this on our bikes. It's absolutely true. I support Vin in that 100%. Yes. We all know pipers don't exercise, but I want to break the mold here. We're all like meat pie eating, beer drinking, kind of, you know. Speak for yourself, then. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, but you know, that that sort of develops a natural habit. Like when you're used to sort of breathing for exercises, like it just sort of, then you won't even think about it. Then that won't be a problem at all, really, when you're playing bagpipes, because, you know that those cycles will actually be, take care of themselves naturally. So, Pipe yeah, while walking uh, on a treadmill, Ashby says, that is, that's got to be a sight. <laughs> That'll get you in shape in a lot more ways than one. Yeah. You can get ready for parade season. There you go. <laughs> um, see, now Julio says fatigue is the biggest issue for him. And it's like, you know, my question is, What's causing the fatigue? Um, are your bagpipes leaking air and so you can't keep up with it? Or, um, or is it actually the muscle? Or, or are you not grabbing enough air? Like there's so many different things uh, that could cause uh, fatigue. Um, so think, of, think about it a little bit there, four hour practices per day. Well, no wonder you're dealing with fatigue. <laughs> Man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anything there's, beyond... There's a solution yeah. for that. There's a really good solution for that, actually. You'll probably enjoy it. It's like cutting it down by 75%. <laughs> He's got nothing better to do. Oh, you are you are blessed, Julio. He's living the dream is what he's doing. Yeah. There you go. Get the techno pipes out. That's good. Um, I used to be in your boat, Julio, and then I decided, hey, maybe I'll start selling some bagpipe supplies. And then now I'm down to, you know, well below an hour. <laughs> so there you go. Um, all right. So uh, so anyway, that's the first sleepless topic there. Uh, what was my, some of my other ones? 
Oh, yeah, here's a good one. So my tunes just don't sound as good when I transition them to the pipes. Yeah, this is one of the big, this is one of the big issues, I think, that lots of people have. And, uh, you know, basically, we, we practice on the practice channel. Things are sounding really awesome. That's and right. then we get Out of the pipes, gold medalists, you know. Yeah, and then just, what are our thoughts on this? Does anyone have that problem? Everybody's got to have that problem. Everybody has that problem. That's why you practice. Except for Marty, it. probably everybody does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, of course everybody has a problem. And that definitely makes you lose sleep. You know, it's very depressing a lot of the times. Things don't sound as good. Let's say the practice channel requires much more, pipe channel requires more precise finger placement with much bigger holes, which part of the problem, I guess, maybe. Not an entire, entirely hard one to overcome, really, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a variety of things that contribute to the problem. Uh, number one is what we just talked about, which is mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with your instrument, uh, it's very difficult to focus on the intricacies that you've been practicing on your practice channel. Uh, most of us have a nice, simple, easy-to-play practice channel, so we can focus on all sorts of intricate stuff that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Then we get on the pipes, we throw that monkey wrench in there, which is trying to keep this instrument going. Mm -hmm. I think that can be a big thing. I think what Lynn said about the pipe channel with the bigger holes, I think that's partially true. Um, I think that they're not that big. It shouldn't be that big of an issue. Um, one of the things is just the richness, of, the richness and the volume of the bagpipe sound. It tends yeah. to really, like... Um, it tends to be a lot, and I feel like things need to be more open and clear um, than maybe they needed to be on the practice chanter because mm -hmm. in order for people to actually be able to hear it, we just need a little bit more space in between everything. So a lot of doublings and stuff tend to sound a little bit crushed until mm -hmm. a player can develop that control. Yeah, and that's a feel thing. I, I think, you know, in a lot of times, even if it's not so much the, the finger placement and the whole coverage, it's uh, – it's just the simple mechanics. You know, you're playing a practice channel, there's nothing else engaged other than your your lips and your fingers, you know. It's you get on the pipes, you got your arm moving, you got you got some muscle tension going and um all of that contributes to just an overall difference in the way your body moves, you know. And I think it's so much not so necessarily precise movement of the fingers, it's just that that sort of awareness and control over your body, you know, and then just just that familiarity that you you need to change, you know, when you need to loosen up your hands or um, you know, and get that more like the practice chanter, you know, like it's supposed to feel on the practice chanter. Like, you know, there's no tension at all when you're playing the practice chanter, duplicating that on the pipes um, as much as possible, you know, with a, but that's all strictly a feel thing. You know, that's just, you know, takes practice and work and things like that. So, like, Marty is, like, all over this. Uh, she's got bigger holes. She loves the bigger holes on her chanter. And she doesn't like her practice channel because maybe the holes are too small. 
So she loved that thing. So not only she's never had a bagpipe that was too hard, and she loves the bigger <laughs> holes. Like, Marty, you, you should be running this thing. Yeah, there you go. Give us our secrets, man. I, mean, I want to know some of that stuff. Not to, on top yeah, of that, yeah. it would appear she has no feeling in her fingers. This is amazing. <laughs> this is incredible. She's a miracle piper. What yeah. is in the I, water I mean, in Wyoming? Exactly. I think maybe it's the elevation or something. Uh, well, uh, let's see. How critical is chanter read position to chanter tone? That's a big one. Uh, I would say, I, I, I'm not sure what you mean by chanter read position. If you're referring to how far sunk it is into the read seat, I would say it's now, extremely. I, I think he's talking about like if the chanter read is, is uh, 90 degrees to the holes or. Or, or that. I've had people ask that to me before, and I don't know. It's, it's I've, I've never been able to see. Yeah, yeah. Not, not necessarily tilted or canted in in any direction, right or left, but just the actual positioning of the blades. Um, oh, I see. And, and I've never, I've never seen any difference. But I think, I think, no. I well, I, I can weigh, I'll weigh in on this. I think that um, what you actually need to do is you need to try to align the chanter with magnetic north. Uh, so <laughs> no, I'm just, just I'm just biodynamic out. piping. That's what we're practicing now. We're going to sprinkle a little like a uh, powdered antler in there, and you know. So well, you know how, and the thing <laughs> is, you know how magnetic north is like three degrees off from like. Uh, north, something like that. I can't remember. All I know is I always in my sporin uh, to line that up uh, because yeah. otherwise. I, I would think, yeah, it's just play into that as well. So you have to worry about where you know sort of the moon phases. One of those and, things I went to I went to uh, one time and they had those things that could tell the magnetic lines or something rotating I, things. What are those things called? I don't know. Um, like a like a plumb bob thing or something? What are yeah, you dousing rods. Yeah, the dousing rods. That's that's actually, uh, yeah, divining rod or whatever you call them. Um, those are what you use to figure out what angle to march at. So you get out your, <laughs> oh, your rods. Yeah. Instead of the drum major mace, you should get dousing rods and just sort of walk well, But you'll, you'll see before before the worlds every year that, that pipe majors go out to the green and they get those rods out to to determine exactly. Well, yeah, you figure out how, you know, the, the perfect spot under you know, practice on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, it has to do with the energies. It has to do with uh, <laughs> the energies. That That's why the circle going and they flow. One circle's where it is. Yeah, and they flow in a certain direction, and um, uh, absolutely. I'm not um, in, in the way that things are set up. And, uh, it has something to do, some mystical con connection between water and... And what do you know, like, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that Field Marshall was one of the only bands not really to get rained on all that. <laughs> and there you go, that's what those rods are for. 
Okay, so enough of so uh, uh, don't think it has the the angle of yeah. the reading. I think the, I think the the sound like just speaking more technically, I think the vibrations sort of end up coming out of the same hole, whether you, whether whether they're starting off on an angle or not. You know, they just sort of end up in the same place, in the same frequency. You know. Um, but anyway, I, getting back to losing sleep over um, not sounding the way you you want to sound on your practice channel. The one thing, especially since the hearing the pipes is so different, you know, when you're practicing, um, is is just plain simple recording, right? Recording yourself and listening to yourself um, in comparison to what you might be hearing on your practice channel, and and determining, you know, the, the the gaps that exist between what you're hearing and how you're what you're feeling, you know, when you're playing. If if really hearing it is that difficult um, when you're playing the the, the big instrument, you know. Uh, hearing it on you know on a recording is definitely a way to sort of erase or change some of the things that you you don't like you know um, a remedy there. Um, it would it turns out um, then also that Marty has played bagpipes on an African safari with elephants. <laughs> with elephants? Yes. With, I mean, to her credit, on the elephants. Well, here it is. Okay. Chanting. Yeah, uh, but this is this is amazing. This is truly remarkable stuff. <laughs> in, in, in all seriousness, the moral of her safari story is that you really do need to practice every day, even if you are on an African safari. Even, I mean, yes, exactly. Even if it's 200 degrees in the sun. Okay, going back to this angle of the chanter thing. So Nate says it is a good question, and I think it is a good question, uh, Nate, but – all my experience points to the fact that it makes no difference. So, you know, the angle, it, it's, it's food for thought, but uh, it's not something worth losing sleep over. Um, unless there was any definitive evidence to the contrary on It's not I mean, if you think about it from a strictly, much. you sort of, you know, it's sort of just in like, way. Uh, um, you know, if you're going over Niagara Falls in a barrel, does it matter what <laughs> the barrel is? Exactly. As you go over. Exactly. The rocks are the same size on the on the bottom. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I, we're just talking in terms of basic thermodynamics. As, uh, <laughs> question, and it's good, and it's, I guess it's, a, it's worth testing. It depends on the staple now, but still, a lot of them are also using you know folded copper. You know, so there isn't a strict tube. You know, there's a there's yeah. a break, and there's a you know. So you Stephen, uh, Stephen's follow up here. Uh, uh, it turns out I was right, Carl. He was talking about uh, the position in the reed seat, and then how firm is it in the throat? Okay, so in, I, by the throat, I presume you mean the reed seat. And the answer is you need it to mm -hmm. be as you want it to be as firm as you can. But uh, Lynn points out there's a limit, right? So it can't be so tight that it's going to like wrench the reed apart or rip the hemp off when you try to take it out. So you, you need to be mm -hmm. nice and firm. You need to be confident that there's no air that's able to sneak around the reed. All, we want all the air to go through the reed, 
And that has to do with the firmness, and that absolutely has an effect on the tone. So if you put the reed in too loose, or if you use the crappy unwaxed hemp that comes from the factory, there's going to be air that can, that can sneak through the sides um, rather than going straight over the falls, if you know what I'm saying, right? It kind of sneaks around. And then, therefore, the reed doesn't have that fullness of tone that we want. So, um, so yeah, that is a good question. All right. Sleepless in GH Battle, Tony says she's having a, a she I'm not sure if it's a she or a he um, so sorry about that Tony uh, but uh, Tony says Tony's a she excellent I guessed right um, real issue trying to tune her pipes any suggestions okay um, losing sleep some people have suggestions have you checked your clone <laughs> yes and so forth that would make me lose uh, sleep. what do you think how do we troubleshoot this tuning issue? Troubleshoot it. Uh, I don't know. Have she has she checked everything from the inside out on the instrument? How about it, Tony? Have you checked everything? Is your bag airtight? Is your so yeah? So Lynn says check your blowing first. Wrong. Don't check your blowing first. The first thing we have to check is. Bagpipe maintenance and efficiency. That's the first thing. Um, and then the next thing I would check is my blowing. I would make sure that I'm blowing nice and steady and I'm producing a good quality of tone. Do I go into tuning? So, Tony, how confident are you in your bagpipe setup and in your ability to blow a, a, a good tone? Let's start there. Setup is fine. Setup is fine. Okay. And you've double and triple checked this, right? Your joints are all nice and hemp tight. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. And then how steady is your blowing? And how good is the quality of let's, tone? Let's, of let's just make it a, from a basic standpoint. If you cork your chanter stock and you blew up your drones, we should, can you produce an even sound? Let's ask that question. Yes, I guess that's a yes to my question. I guess. Well, that's good. And then what about drone read calibration? Have you heard the dojo spiel about do drone read calibration? No. Okay. That's a big thing. Like, even if your pipes are well-maintained, if your drone reads are taking too much air, okay, or, or if they're taking different amounts of air, right, uh, and they're not all calibrated in and zoned into that exact right pressure, then um, tuning will be ho a hopeless, frustrating endeavor. Let me show you uh, what I mean. Although the site's been loading slowly today. I wonder what's going on. Well, um, um, the trip has, how do you tell if it's taking too much air? Well, there's, there's, I guess, two different ways of looking at this. The first one would be to be a feel thing like how hard are you blowing with no chanter in the in the stock to keep the drone steady and then the other one would be um the actual calibration of them you know how how evenly are they taking air you know they all have to be taking the same amount of air basically um and that's what i think andrew's going to be finding right i think is that what you're looking for yes uh
Well, this is this, that's what that's what Tony. That's what Andrew is going to be finding. But basically, if, you, if you're going to start out calibrating the drone reads, right, you're going to be, uh, I would say, cork your chander stop, blow them up, blow your nice steady tone, and then try to shut them off. Blow hard as hard as you can, or blow hard enough that they start shutting off. And ideally, they should all turn off at the same time. They shouldn't turn. Off one shouldn't turn off, and then the other, and then the next one, right? Or your bass shouldn't turn off first, and then the both tenors shut off when you have to blow harder. They should all right. blow turn off at the same time, the minute you're blowing harder than say you would normally do to get a nice steady even sound. Exactly. And then, so that's the first step. And if, if, you, if that's if you've done that and everything's good there, then put the channer in and do the same thing, um, and try and shut off the drones. And I guess your drone should be shutting off when you're you read is making, hopefully maybe making squirrely sounds that you wouldn't want to make because you're blowing too hard. So, and then they should all turn off at the same time. They shouldn't be turning off one after the other or one shouldn't still be going <laughs> if you've cool, blown yeah. you know, your, your butt off there. I start with one, I start with one drone read in my chanter, right? And I play the chanter and then I, I purposefully overblow the chanter a little bit. You know, and I, you know, I purposefully go over the top with it. Um, and I want to make sure that when I do that, my tenor drone read shuts off. Because if it doesn't shut off, that means it's taking way more air than it needs to. Okay, so, so I do that, and I do that a couple times. I try to find, uh, and there's, we could get scientific about it, but basically speaking, right, we want to make sure that when we blow too hard, the read shuts off. Okay, and then what I do is I get rid of the chanter. I cork off the chanter stock. I open up one more drone. So there's still one that's shut off. I open up one more drone. So I just have two drones going, and I very gradually increase the pressure. And then I make sure that the two drones that are open shut off at exactly the same time. And I adjust the bridles, the, the bridles of the reeds. I adjust those rubber bands uh, to make sure uh, that's how I calibrate them. And then I open up the third one. And I make sure all three are shutting off perfectly at the same time. Now, when I put my channer back in, our bagpipe is going to be rocking and rolling, and the drone reads will be perfectly well calibrated. So, Tony, try that. And if you still are having trouble next week with the tuning, then we'll go into some actual uh, tips for tuning technique. Yeah. Because after that, if everything's good there and you've done that, um, the next thing to look at is, your, is really your channer read. You know, it might just be too hard for you, too. And if your drones are calibrated to that kind of strength of read, that's just overall a bad sort of a not a bad setup, but a, but a, a, an uncomfortable setup for what you might want to play ideally. You know, I mean, and that's really what it's about, like finding your ideal spot um, where you can produce the best tone possible. You know, and if you've got a really hard channel read that you're trying to make work, your drones are going to have to take a lot of air to keep that thing going, um, and that could be part of your problem as well. So, so it's all about your own personal tolerances in a lot of ways. So, Marty, why do you put your bag in a tub full of water? That does not sound like a good idea to me. <laughs> you could play in Scotland and achieve the same goal, really. <laughs> Maybe. You need to be uh, playing soaking wet. Uh, viewer discretion is advised on this one. Uh, do not put your $400 sheepskin bag in a tub of water. 
think I think people have done that for the can more. But but even with that, it's not good for your pipes, um, and and it doesn't really accomplish anything better than um, a cloth with a little water and a little mild soap um, around suspect areas. Putting it the whole thing in the bathtub just it's a little bit scary. Yes. Very scary. Yeah. Think everything gets wet, you know, and just because the Canmore bag is made of Gore-Tex doesn't mean it doesn't get wet. You know, it will hold water until it dries. <laughs> you know, that's just physics. So. Yeah, so uh, proceed with caution there. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, ideally, you would want to have as little water as possible in your instrument at any given time. That's, I think, the general rule of thumb, um, which is yeah. why we have uh, all kinds of goops and systems and all kinds of things, you know. Yeah, hey, Carl, your microphone still sounds awful. It's better than it was at first, but... There's too much gain, like it's distorting. I don't know what's up with that. He quits. No, don't quit. Just Cam fix your mic. Cameron asked, how do you handle having two different channels with two different reads? Yeah, I fall asleep over this occasionally. We have like a different setup, one for solo, one for band. Because uh, you do have different set there are different strengths, most likely. Um, you know, you it's a tricky thing. Gotta go the thing. extra mile. Gotta, gotta go, go the, the extra, extra mile, yeah. And yep. you got to get your, uh, got to go the extra mile and purchase a second set of drone reads. Yep. So one set is calibrated to the, the solo strength read, and the other set is calibrated to your band strength read. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to do that uh, without. Um, Not sacrificing something or creating headaches for yourself, mainly. <laughs> it's it's most efficient too, because especially you know you don't really have the time to recalibrate and reset reads and. Things like that when you're switching setups, you know, um, particularly on a day, a competition day or something. So it's always ideal to have just something that's ready to go. You know, you can be like, you know, Angus McCall and have multiple sets of bagpipes going at any given time. <laughs> yeah, uh, Stephen, excellent question. When a reed breaks in, does it become more free and give more harmonics? Uh, sometimes, but not necessarily. It depends on the overall quality of the reed to begin with. And I agree entirely. Um, just because the reed is in tune does not mean it sounds good, right? Because the tonal quality, the richness of the harmonics, that is the first and foremost objective there. Lynn says yes. it will also sharpen slightly. I don't agree. I think that um, if anything, um, if anything, the high hand becomes a little bit flatter relative to the bottom hand as a reed breaks in. Yeah. What so typically happens is then you'll start adjusting it and you end up having to be sharper, you know, or something. You end up yeah, doing like something you might, need, you might then need far. to sync the reed to, to balance it, which might end up a little sharper. Um, that's just been my experience. What typically happens is that, yeah, you know, the reeds, when they start to, you know, when they go like that, is they just get out of balance is really all that happens, you know, and then when it happens, it's just a matter of either making adjustments or getting a new one. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Go with your experience on that one. Like, Lynn, if yours gets sharper, I, I think that's okay. The important thing is that they are toneful and in tune. So. Yeah. Um, 
So that's good. Um, all the all the all the, all the big names and all the big names always have played reeds that last years. It's an amazing thing, but that they do that, you know. So you'll hear these guys and they'll step out on the boards playing a reed they played for like five years. Um, I don't know whether that's a function of living in Scotland and you can just do that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a reed last five years, but um, it's, it is possible, I guess. Um, here's the last topic on my list was that people might lose sleep over is no matter what I do, my drones get wet. That's one of the, that's probably the biggest uh, sleepless in GHB at all yes. reason uh, on the face of the earth. All the time. And it's an almost impossible one to remedy seemingly, right? And you, it's, it's just, it's just, I, and it's, it's one of these things where you like, you should find a setup. And this happened, this has happened to me on, on a couple of occasions actually, and it just happened last year actually, where I found, you know, sort of play around some drone reads, find a decent setup that you like, and then realize that you, you know, I went against my sort of better instincts, knowing that the reeds don't behave well in moisture, and then at the wrong time, they misbehave <laughs> because of moisture, and then you, you know, there's nothing you can do about it really, because it's just out of the blue and. You should have known better. <laughs> I should have known better. Um, but you sort of go for that sound, and you want, you know, you want to sort of hold, hold it, and it seemed to have been working well until you got out there, you know. So, um, you know, that's it becomes like an issue of, of – and there's lots of things that contribute to that, right? It's environment, where you're playing. Um, you, know, where, you know, you might be practicing in your room somewhere, um, and you seem – everything really seems to be doing fine, and no moisture collects, but then you get outside um, – you know, on, on competition day or something, and next thing you know, your everything's dripping wet, you know. Um, so you have to be able to account for that and maybe have a setup. It's that sort of where the um, – it's and then that's where uh, enter, you know, um, I think his name is Jeff. Enter Jeff Ross with the Ross canister bag about, what, 15 years ago now probably? Gosh, I think it's more than that. It was more than that. 90s, yeah. Here is a beautiful system whereby uh, you stick this thing in your bag and it's got a, a kitty litter in it. Um, and the air goes through the kitty litter, through a tube to your drones, and then they never get wet. And that Not solves ever. everything, right? <laughs> Except for <laughs> yes. what, is the big, what is the big problem with that? There's a trade-off. What's the trade-off? Trade -off. Because no moisture gets into any of the reeds. It's yeah. never – never, Never and, then, and then nothing ever balances as a result. And, so and the embouchure, like the overall embouchure world inside of the bagpipe, is also totally it becomes totally divided and uh, you know what would you call it um, discombobulated and airs going in all sorts of weird directions. Mm -hmm. And so the result is a significantly decreased tonal quality of the instrument. Tons of harmonics die. Innocent. Beautiful, pure harmonics are killed uh, with moisture control systems, and that's the big trade-off. And it yes. takes a true master. It takes a true bagpipe master to get a good sound out of a moisture control system. It could be done. I've heard it done successfully once or twice. Um, yeah. The most recent time was Alex Gandy's setup. I, I know he uses a moisture control system, and he had a very nice tone, um, very pleasant. Uh, but it's so rare that you hear 
uh, moisture control setup that you're like, wow, it takes a lot of work. You know, it does take a lot of work to get it to that level. And, you know, it's, it, you know, it depends on what you're shooting for. You know, if that's the quality of sound you're looking for, then, then it's worth the work. If you're just doing it because that's the setup you have and that's what your band plays, or you think that's the solution to your moisture problems, then, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be willing to live with those trade-offs, right? Say, okay, well, this is solving my problem, but, you know, I will only get this kind of sound forever <laughs> until I change. Alex yeah. does not play a sheet bag with a split stock tube trap. He may have at one time. Um, and then Jim McGillivray, I think, may play a raw system. I think that might be true. Um it uh, gets rid of a lot of moisture, but then with with no moisture, there's no there's no tone, right? Um, so yeah, good good uh, good stuff here today so far, folks. We could talk about that till the cows come home. I certainly don't think, uh, for the record, as as these things tend to get out in the world, I certainly don't think these are bad products. I've been accused of saying that before. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you just have to understand the trade-off, which is very real, in my opinion, uh, in my, you know, all of my objective experience points in this direction. So those of you out there who, who are or know manufacturers of moisture control products, um, they're really awesome in certain situations, and they have to be really carefully monitored, in my opinion, to get a good sound. Um, now, now, true or false, in, in, in a general sense, you are or aren't using a moisture control system with your setup right now. I am absolutely kind of using one, um, but uh, I don't know. You, why don't you finish that thought, Carl, and tell us why you think it works? Well, I, I guess the the way to say that is we're, we've been trying the the, uh, the drone dry system here. Um, and the reason we're suspecting it works better than others is because it really doesn't change the amount of air that gets to the drone reeds, and it really doesn't change in any significant way the yambature the around the reed. Um, you know, the stocks are more or less the same as, as any set of stocks are. Um, and so, while I, I mean, we, we think it has great moisture-controlling properties, uh, right where it needs to be and, and no more. Um, it doesn't really dry out the bag any more than um, anyway. anything else. Yeah, it doesn't seem to. It, so we're still very new in this. Why? Because it dries out the drone reeds. Okay. Well, let's put it this way. Let me put it this way. We've had a very hard time getting any moisture on our drone reeds in our practice sessions. You still and have to sort of dry out kernels and desiccant and stuff like that, don't you? You do have to dry out the little canisters that yeah. it comes with. Yeah. It's pretty low maintenance. Like, there's no litter or anything. You just take out the little cartridge, nuke mm -hmm. it a couple times, uh, and then let it cool and put it back in. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty cool. Uh, the, anyways, the, the device is pretty tricky, and it's pretty cool, you know, in terms of the setup and the construction of it, and it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, stay tuned. We're about to we're about to put those up for sale. So when they do, we'll have a nice deal on them to get things nice. started. Yeah, um, I can't I can't say you know in terms of like moisture, it's it's always you know it really kind of depends on what you know everybody's got to be aware of what kind of moisture they're putting into their instrument 
you know, when they play, um, even under, you know, changing conditions, typically, you know, is always pretty much the same. Um, you know, you're either going to be a really wet blower and lots of moisture is going to be accumulating in your bag or, and on your, in your instrument, or the opposite will be true. It's like nothing is accumulating and you're actually subject to environmental conditions and condensation forms and inside and outside things, you know. So you have to be aware of those things and realize what solution is going to work best for you. Um, I think that's the key element there. It's like everything, it's always going to be different, you know. And a lot of these moisture systems like Ross and things like that work if you fall into like a, a band, you know, a statistical band of people who, you know, have a certain level of moisture in their instrument or something. Um, so, you know, you have, to, you have to sort of be aware of that and know which, you know, so you can just like throw it in just because you think it's going to work. You know, um, yeah, I'm just reading some of the stuff about the double toning base. Hey, uh, Ashby, we will definitely talk about this tomorrow in the open dojo session because I know you've been wondering about it. Um, Steve's suggestion is pretty good. The issue, what I was taught from Jack Lee on the issue of the double toning base, is it has everything to do with the first joint not being, not tuning too high. Okay, and then Lynn is sort of right. Your read might be set to difficult, although if you're well calibrated, right, that's not going to be an issue. Uh, but we want to try to get that, that first tuning pin, the lowest tuning pin on the bass, um, to tune as low as possible, within reason. Like mine tunes about a half an inch to an inch above. Uh, like that's all there is. It's not, you know, like other tenor drones where we want to tune it up nice and high. Um, that that first pin needs to be tuned nice and low, um, and you should find that it starts a lot better. There are some makes of bagpipes that are uh, struggle with that more than others. Mm -hmm. Like I find the nail starts really well. The McCallum, uh, typically in the past anyway, has had a little bit more trouble with it. And then Ashby, I think you're you're a Atherton guy, right? Yeah, they're uh, they they can be tricky depending on the especially the bass. I mean, what base you throw in there? Um, not everyone is going to work. They want to, it wants to tune really high for most of them. So you got to you got to actually maybe futz around with a, a read that has some sort of level of manipulation possibilities, or get one of those longer base reads if that's your thing. Right, McCallum yeah. tunes very high, right? That's why the double toning is often an issue there. Yeah, I I found actually with the Atherton's that you get um, if you find a read that works, it's like if you, if it there's an optimal there's an optimal length, you know, it's it's got to be tuning where it needs to tune. If it goes in any direction beyond that, it buzzes and makes weird noises. <laughs> it's very strange. Like it'll start making sort of growly noises, and that's that's a potential double toning disaster right there. Um, but it's it's it, there's a very narrow spot, sweet spot where you know it's everything's working the way it's supposed to work, you know. Yeah, it's very interesting. It has to do with it has to do with the shape of the airflow, um, and there's some sort of the, you know that first tuning pin is approximately halfway up the drone, right? Um, and so like it has to do with some sort of weird uh, backdraft, and what ends up happening is the first fundamental of the bass ends up getting cut out, and in that that octave higher, uh, well, it's almost an octave. Uh, is the result, and yeah, it's very unpleasant. So anyway, Ashby, give a bunch of things a try, and uh, we'll talk more tomorrow and see how that's going. All right, yeah. let's um, 
let's wrap this up. Are there any last uh, questions before we wrap it up here yes. for today? No one needs to lose sleep anymore. That's the, that's yeah. the, we can all sleep well tonight. We can all sleep well. Marty, Marty's always sleeping well. Marty's sleeping well. She's yeah, <laughs> dreaming of safaris. All right, you're welcome, Tony. Give drone read calibration a try, and come on back next week and let us know how it went. Uh, yeah. Gibson water trap. We use um, something similar to a Gibson water trap. Uh, I think it's a good product for sure. Simple. Yeah. I guess it, in some you just have to try everything. There's lots of things out there to try and fool around with. So find something cane that works. In, cane base in synthetic bag. Uh, many of the world's best pipers use a cane base in the synthetic bag. So it's absolutely possible. Yes, it is. However... Um, with a moisture system. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of those guys don't even play anything in those bags. You know, I think uh, William McCollum plays a Bannatine, right? Angus McCall's played a Canmore for a gazillion years. Seems, <laughs> I think he still does, yeah. Yeah. All right. Did I leave the tube off the base? I don't know, Steve. Yeah, you just got to try it. You keep trying it. The only, the only way to know for sure is just to do it differently for a while and see if there's any change. You know, there is one, thing, one thing about bike like it's like a, like a self-experimenter's paradise. You know, you just sort of do things and keep going and then, you know, take a note of what happened. <laughs> do something different if it didn't let, you don't like it, you know. Yeah. There's a secret society of people who play cane bases. <laughs> exactly. In all yeah. sorts of different environments. They, 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 pray, they pray to a portrait of Angus Mackay, and they, you know, sort of wear big live animal sparrings, and, uh, you know, they have a pretty raucous time. All right. Well, on that note, folks, we will uh, sign off, and we'll be back next week, and uh, hopefully everyone sleeps a little bit better. Tonight. <laughs> yes. Have a good night. Pleasant dreams.